it's all of our responsibility. It's not just the Jewish community. It's not just Justin Trudeau. It's not just our provincial leadership. It's the leadership of other communities that must stand up and say, no, this cannot happen here. That is the president of the uh, Federation CJA. As uh, nerves are rattled in Montreal, where police are investigating two separate bombing incidents that involved Molotov cocktails being thrown at a synagogue and a Jewish community center sometime Monday overnight. And they're treating this as a hate crime because since October 7th, they've been uh, responding to a surge of crimes, 48 against the Jewish community. And there are a number of public calls for lone wolf attacks happening all over the world. I mean, Hamas has openly said they will repeat October 7th killings as much as they can. And those calls are being openly vocalized at protests, including here. And on the weekend, a very controversial imam who has been imprisoned before for his alleged links to al-Qaeda was openly praising Hamas on Montreal streets and opening, openly calling for violence. He was saying a speech to a huge crowd saying, oh God, take care of the aggressor Zionists, take care of the enemies of Gaza, count them one by one and kill them in the long term and do not exclude any of them, end quote. And he declared in his speech in uh, Arabic on TikTok, and he goes on and on. This is what he does. The question is, how is he allowed to do this? Let's ask someone who is familiar with his case. Phil Gursky, president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting, former CSIS analyst. Great to have you. Hi, Alex. Nice to have you back on the program. Thank you. So the name Adil Sharkoui... Um, is known to you. He spent almost two years imprisoned in 2003 for alleged links to um, al-Qaeda. What can you tell us about him, and why is he here? <laughs> Great question. So uh, Mr. Sharkawi was one of several individuals who were subject to what's called a National Security Certificate, Alex. Now, this was a tool that we in Canada use, not a great tool, to basically keep people um, behind bars pending deportation. So the way it worked was that these individuals came to Canada, they were not citizens, and we found out uh, after the fact through intelligence that they were involved in activities that pose a threat, in this case terrorism, and we sought to have them removed from Canada. And of course they lawyered up and said, well, if you send me back to country X, I'm going to be tortured and killed. And so they're here. And um, I worked on five such cases at CSIS, and all five are still here. And some of them go back 20 years, Alex, they've been in the country. I don't know that any of them have become citizens. I'm not sure on that. But uh, it points to our inability to act on national security grounds when intelligence is concerned. Yeah, big time. I mean, this guy, uh, I guess, became a citizen in 2014. But you have to look at his background. If he was two years in jail in 2003, you wonder, well, how did how, what qualifies him to be a Canadian citizen? And yet he openly preaches at a mosque in the uh, Rosemount district of Montreal. I, I know he's not the only one. The question is, like, how many are here like him? And I'm not attaching him to the two incidents that happened in Montreal, but I don't know who did it. And he's openly calling for violence in the streets of Montreal. So someone maybe took him up on his, his directions. The question is, how many of these types of, of people, extremists, might be here with us? Well, it, yeah, what a great question, it's an, and it's impossible to know. I mean, certainly when I, in my time at CSIS between 2001-2015, we had somewhere between three and 400 cases of individuals who we thought posed a threat of what we call Islamist extremism, people mm-hmm. tied to al-Qaeda, ISIS, et cetera, et cetera. There's no question that somebody in the position of an imam, he's a charismatic figure, he has a crowd, he has a following, 
And some people are going to pick him up on his words. Like you said, we can't you know, prove that what he said led to these incidents, but it isn't beyond the realm of imagination or possibility that that, in fact, did happen. And at a minimum, um, we can't have a person doing this in public. Um, at a minimum, it's, it's a hate crime. It's a, it's a call to violence, and something must be done to uh, ensure it doesn't happen again. Right. And so when you've got someone like this, and he made no secret of it, he was out in the streets of Montreal at this huge pro-Palestinian, um, you know, uh, protest. The video's all over the place. People are questioning it. And so would they be looking at him? Is anybody following him? Um, it's hard to say. You know, we, we, we got badly burned by the National Security Certificate cases, Alex. In fact, Many of the people subject to certificates are now suing for multiple tens of millions. I think I think the going rate in Canada is 10.5 million. If you feel you've been wrongly accused of being a terrorist by Canada, mm. uh, that's, that's taxpayers' money, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he certainly is on the radar of of somebody, whether it's the SPVM, the Montreal Police, or maybe the RCMP, or maybe he's, I don't know. But I think the bottom line for me, Alex, is the old phrase: the leopard doesn't change his spots. Mm. Right? Here's a person with whom or on whom we had. Uh, serious uh, concerns dating back decades and oh you know he's changed he's dropped that point of view and in my, in my experience and, and I've written on terrorism extensively very few people really abandon the cause to which they're wedded and certainly in this case Mr. Sharkawi doesn't appear to have changed one iota in his hatred towards Jews his hatred towards the West etc cetera, etc cetera. I hope that somebody is certainly looking into this at a minimum because of what he allegedly said to the crowd. As I said, that 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 crosses the threshold of the criminal code on several occasions, I would imagine. Well, yeah, you would think so. Um, But the concern is, you know, we've moved away from covering, um, you know, Middle Eastern terror, as you know. Um, And I think looking away likely is a big reason as to why October 7th happened. We got distracted with other things. The concern, though, is that these attacks may not look like the October 7th attack. They could be uh, lone wolf attacks. And Hamas, the leadership, has openly called and made very clear they plan to do October 7th over and over and over again as long as Jews are killed. And so then the concern becomes these lone wolf attacks. And, and, And from what I'm hearing from you, we don't really we don't have the laws in the books to actually deal with any of this because somehow there'll be a charter protection for people who, you know, clearly are not playing by the rules of of what a a society should have. Yeah, you raise a good point. You know, in the last couple of years, there seemed to have been this switch in collective wisdom that the only threat we need to worry about here in Canada when it comes to terrorism is from the far right. You know, like neo-fascists and neo-Nazis. And there's no question these people... I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're violent wankers. We have to worry about them. But, you know, kilo for kilo around the world, the Islamists still rule the roost. They still carry out the vast majority of attacks, like the Hamas attack on October the 7th. Uh, ISIS, you know, it's still around. They just, they just killed 30 people in Syria last night. Yeah, yeah. They call for lone person attacks as well. For people just, you know, I used to call the Nike form of terrorism, uh, Alex. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Uh, <laughs> pick up a hammer. Pick up a, yeah. a knife. Pick up a car. And, and so... I think that probably our security services and law enforcement are on pretty high alert now because of the rise in hate crimes, especially against, you know, synagogues and Jewish centers. There's also been some hate crimes against mosques around the world as well. Tensions are rising, and that puts a lot of pressure on our protectors to keep us safe when they've got other things to worry about at the same time. So I have confidence in the men and women with whom I used to work at at CSIS and with the RCMP, mm. but you know, the number of priorities are simply expanding, and it's hard to have enough resources to cover it all. And it's also 
hard to know if the politicians are taking it seriously. Uh, we saw with the Chinese, you know, yeah. situation with the missing, you know, the interference and all that. They're not checking their memos. And also, and I'd say this about all of them, they seem more concerned right now about pandering to votes than making sure safety is key. And that is the concern is, are they protecting the citizens or are they worried about their base? That, and that's the saddest part for me. And you, you hit the nail on the head, Alex. The, the Chinese affair really just showed how little intelligence is dogged here in Canada. I, I, I call it a, a really poor intelligence culture we have here in comparison with our allies like the Americans and the Brits and even the Australians. You know, our services work very hard to provide information on which to make decisions, like the national security, security certificate cases back in the 2000s. And for whatever reason, the information was set aside, ignored, or, or undermined. And it seems with the governments are still doing mm-hmm. this. So, you know, if you work in this area, whether CSIS or CSE or RSTMP, uh, you can imagine why morale is kind of low. Like, why do yeah. I bother doing what I'm yeah. doing if nothing's going to happen in the end? So. Let's hope saner heads prevail and politicians grow a pair and can actually you know, deal with, with this information and deal with it swiftly to keep us safe. From your lips to God's ears, let's hope. That's all we've yeah. got. <laughs> Thanks, Phil. You're welcome, Alex.